0: I want to say welcome to those listening online. And just one thing I do want to say to those of you who are listening online, I would encourage you wherever you are to get yourself involved in a church locally. Don't sit in front of a TV or anything like that and just sit and wait, but actually get yourself involved in a local church where you can serve and be served. Our culture seems to be increasingly preoccupied with ourselves and we shouldn't be surprised the verse Kimberly just read let's read let's look at it slowly in the last days towards the end before Jesus comes and he is coming in the last days it is going to be very difficult to be a Christian so you're getting the heads up why two reasons he states there number one is for people who will love only themselves So my love, the little amount that I do have, I'm going to reserve for me. And if I'm lucky, my family and a few other special people. And they'll be lovers of their money. So when people misdirect, this is the point I want to make of that verse. When people misdirect their love, they misdirect their passion and the energy that they have that God has given them toward themselves and material pleasures. There is very little love left over for anything else. Especially to be directed towards others. Now, there are three main reasons for that. Three main forms of self-expression in our culture. You check this out. Number one, I'm going to go drill into them. The first one would be individualism. That's what, that that individualism means this. It's about me and others really don't matter. That's what individualism is about. Secularism is the second one. And that is this, it means that God does not matter. So others don't matter is individualism. God doesn't matter is secularism. And the third one is narcissism. And that's all that matters is moi, me. Let's take them one by one. Individualism has a couple of catchphrases which are very well known. And it says this, I've got to do, mate, what's best for me. That's what individualism says. And their motto that they sing is, I did it my way. Now, I have a question for you. Are people in our society today more rude or more considerate? I think they're more rude. Individualism says other people doesn't no don't matter and this is how it comes across it comes across as unfriendliness and unwilling to in this to connect I'm in a rush to get on with my own plans you meet them hi, very superficial check them they're gone doing they're a rush to get on with what they want to get on with and the Bible says here and that by the way that, that feels doesn't it it feels a little unfriendly it feels they're driven by another agenda. And they won't say that, but that's what you end up feeling like. The Bible says in Proverbs 18:1, an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. Another uh, verse says, uh, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. So they're often doing their own thing and they're following their own desires. In other words, he only thinks of himself. That's the first thing, individualism. Second thing, which... I want to bring up here is secularism and that again says God does not matter. Now for most people it's not that they do not believe in God because the latest survey even in the Herald still showed that people believe in God they just think he's irrelevant for their life today which to me is illogical. Most people that live around you don't deny that God exists they're just not interested in him they ignore him. Now, Job said this thousands of years ago. In Job 21:14. notice this verse. The wicked, you don't hear that word much, except it's been completely changed around in its meaning. The wicked tell God to leave them alone. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me about God. They don't want to know his will for their lives. That's the wicked. That's a description of the wicked. The godly, on the other hand, do want to know God's will for their lives. That's what they do. And, And the wicked are basically saying, God, you stay over there on your side of the fence, and I'll stay on my side of the fence, and I won't bother you, but please don't bother me. You handle the world, I'll handle my own affairs. That's the intent. Again, Psalm 10, verse 4. A wicked man, now notice this next word, in His pride thinks, he's deluded, that God doesn't matter. The NIV, I love it. It says, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Question. Last week, or excuse me, right now, you're having time for the thoughts of God because we're using his words up here. Last week, did you have time for God's words in your life? Did you make them? Did you make room for God in your life, or was the push of the current of this world driving you so fast you didn't have room for God? So we become so full of ourselves we don't have enough room for God. Have a listen and have a look at some of the quick titles I just had a quick. Group. There were thousands of them I could have chosen from. Look at these titles on Amazon. This shows you where our culture's like. When all you wanted is not enough, how to be your own best friend, <laughs> and then total self confidence, trusting yourself. Do you spot where these titles are going and the theme of them, how opposite they are to the scriptures? Sense the attitude. So, the secularism, an individualism. That says I don't need God, I don't need other people, all I need is me. And then there's the last part is narcissism. And this is a philosophy that the core belief that all that matters is me. All that I'm interested in, here's my some interests. My interests, my goals, my dreams, my desires, my happiness, my career. That is a s- symptomatic. Of a narcissist. Now Psalm 36 verse 2 says, in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate, to detect, to even be aware of his own sin. He flatters himself often with his accomplishments or her accomplishments. Now everything is evaluated by the question, what's in it for me? If there's nothing left for me, I ain't going to do it. Well, if that's the case, you need to really evaluate whether you want to become a Christian. It's called living for yourself. That there is living for yourself. Pure and totally adulterated living for yourself. Yet the Bible, on the other hand, is diametrically opposed to that and says live different to that. That's the way the world one summation of that is in Galatians 2. I have been crucified. By the way, in case we've forgotten, that involves hardship and difficulty. Crucifixion. We sit here in our modern world and we are way disconnected from the reality of the crucified Christ. It is now, therefore, I've gone through pain and agony. I, it is no longer I who live. I'm not living for myself, my dreams, my desires, my plans. But it is Christ who lives in me. And I now live different than the old life. I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, there's an attitude in our society that says, I don't need others. Evidence. They don't have any friends. Two, I don't need God. Evidence. They have no room for God. And three, all that matters is me. Take your calendar see how much of that time is taken up in your pursuits, my pursuits. So what are the effects of this preoccupation? You've got the cause. Let's look at some of the effects of this preoccupation with self. Number one, and very dishearteningly to me and to any Christian and to anybody who calls himself by his precious name, is the disintegration of families and relationships. Ridiculous stuff. See, they're here all this week. Chirping on about how it should be now okay to develop throuples in this country. That's where three of you are in one relationship. Yeah, read it. This is what's happening, guys. We need to be wise people, discerning what's happening and standing up and pushing back against that. Now, let me give you something else which is a deep concern. And I know you know this, but here's some facts. I love facts because the Bible says get the facts. Look at this, straight from the stats department. That is the trend in marriage. Down dooby doo down, down. People are not getting married anymore at the rate they used to. That is the facts, stats department. I apologize it stops in 2017, but 2018 isn't out yet. Now, one of the factors that's causing this and driving this and the disintegration of families is the movement of young adults away from marriage and instead substituting what God ordained for hooking up with one or more people, sometimes at the same time. And that is replacing God's plan for marriage in some segments of the young adult population. By the way, divorces are going down. Guess why? Because nobody's getting married. (laughs) So don't buy that line of hogwash. Does it surprise you to know that most of these people are devoted to their own self-fulfillment? And by the way, let me say something really tough because it's the truth. It deeply concerns me that this is happening in the church. That ought not to be the case. There is something fundamentally, foundationally wrong if that is happening in the church. And God has called pastors to stand up like watchmen and say, that is a problem. We talk about sometimes unduly the focus on other aberrations of morality, but forget, a vow is a vow is a vow is a vow is a vow. I will not leave you. Number two, the second effect are superficial relationships. And this is what happens. No time for closeness. By the way, (laughs) that can be with friends. That can be with your spouse. I'm dead serious. Take a look at the Germans. There's no time for sex. Look what's happened to their fertility rate. Through the floor. What drove Angela Merkel to do what she did? There's a massive gap and they're going to make disaster, tsunami coming, there's a million people, that'll help pay the taxes. There's more to that. I haven't got time to go into that. Superficial relationships, no time for closeness with friends. I'm too busy with my own goals. I'm exhausted when I come out. I get that. My career, my plans, my goals come first and others way down. And by the way, the implied thinking there is, I can't afford to let other relationships interfere with my plans. And the result is, we have many very, very, very busy people who are very lonely. But they're going so fast, they're kind of like anesthetized. to this effect. The third effect is two-pronged, frustration and despair. Now, if you place yourself at the center of the universe, it leaves a strange aftertaste in your mouth after a while. And pretty soon, your will becomes small and meaningless. And the reason for that is self-centeredness will never satisfy. And I didn't say that. Jesus did. And I believe Jesus. Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-five says this again. Selfishness only causes trouble. So when we make ourselves the center of the universe eventually the whole thing implodes and the reason for that is you cannot control everything around you you are not god god is god and you are not that's the simplest stress reliever i can give you there's more to life though than just you you are not god you need a greater authority a focus, a moral compass which defines right and wrong, not the culture. They are tolerably confused to give your life meaning and significance. So how can I counteract that tide of selfishness in our society just the same way that you want to counteract the tide of selfishness in your children and your grandchildren? How do we do that? In a society that's constantly saying, think of yourself, Even Christians can get caught up in that. It's easy to think only of yourself. The Bible says this, and this is not a new problem. This is Paul talking about his beloved Timothy. He says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy stood out as a rare gem in a world of self-seekers. So, after we've looked at self-seekers, now we're going to look at the other way. We're going to look at how to anti, the anti that, which is self-denial. So, let's look at this. How do you come up with a solution for self centeredness Now, number one is you cannot get away from building strong relationships this way and this way. Build strong relationships, vertically, horizontally. Put it simply, get interested in people. God is vitally interested. That's why he said, I have to love me, man. You need to love others. Real simple, we forget this. Be others-centered. God is. And if we want to be like him, oh, I want to be like him. I want to be like his son. Get interested in other people. That means making time for other people. How do you do that? Well, you cultivate some friendships. You need other people in your life, and so do I, so that we're not so self-centered. And if you say you don't have time for relationships, then you're flat out too busy. Because that will seem so weak and anemic when you get to heaven. God's going to say, why did I put you next to these people 40 hours a week? Just so you could get your job done and be not mindful of their needs for me. You need to make time for relationships for your own spiritual health. See, selfishness at its core is simply, I want to do my thing and forget about you. Unless it kind of helps me a bit. But caring about somebody else is the fastest way to get the focus off yourself. And one of the ways you can care about somebody else is by starting to build a relationship, because everybody else in their life is too busy. I noticed this, that when I first met Kimberly, I was pretty much wrapped in my own world. Seven days a week I worked from the age of nine on different things. But when I fell in love with Kimberly, something happened in my head and my heart. She was the only person I could think about. (laughs) It was not me. It was her. It was, what can I do for her? How can I get to see her again? How can I make her happy? Because I was in love with her. Still had the other responsibilities, but my mind had changed and my heart had. And that's what love does. Love gets a focus off yourself so you're not selfish. And that's called fellowship. And that's one of the purposes of the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.19, you are members of God's very own family. And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You want to circle that word family because here's the truth. You can take this home and bank it. Your spiritual family will outlast your physical family. It's going to go into eternity. And one of the antidotes you need in a selfish society is a church family. Every Christian needs a church family. A place where you can belong and play your part. Be involved in advancing and supporting and caring for God's bride who he is coming back for. He ain't coming back for anything else. when we don't have relationships and we get too busy we tend to see only ourselves and the best place to start building relationships is in the church therefore Hebrews 10 24 says again underlines let us not give up the habit of meeting together instead let us encourage one another question how do you apply that verse? number one show it regularly number two is there anybody in your life next week that you have a plan to encourage in the church? or are we doing our own things. He's saying let's not give up meeting together. You need to get together with other Christians. Not just attend. The very bare minimum. Not attending. He wants to turn you from an attender into a participant. A participant. You need to share to belong. You can't effectively encourage anybody else in a meeting like this. You need to be in a small group. So you can be prayed for and you can pray for others. When's the last time you prayed for somebody? So you can eat together, my goodness. Quick tip, if you wanna go to a great group for food, you go to Robert's small group. Man, that's good food there. (laughs) Those guys and gals know how to cook. So for your own emotional and spiritual health, you need these kinds of relationships. That is one of the reasons why I'm not keen at all, and I don't think Jesus will be on TV Church. TV Church makes it way too passive Way too easy. It is not what Jesus had in mind when he gave the Great Commission. Remember, it's not the little commission, small c. It's a great commission. Big G, big C. And he wants a big commitment to the Great Commission. So when you get up you know, in your PJs, you flip on the TV, there's no interaction with anybody else. It requires no involvement, no commitment, and you don't have to interact. That's the first antidote to counteract the flow in the culture that says live for yourself. The second one is this. The second solution to self-centeredness is rather than bring it all to me, Jesus is exactly the opposite. And you don't hear this often. He says here, give yourself away. Give yourself away. That hit me like a ton of bricks at 29 years old when Jesus said, are you going to do this? you are you going to do this with your life? I had a crisis in my heart. But I would distinctly remember driving down Chapel Road and said, God, I don't care what I do. I want to serve you. So he said, let it go. That's giving yourself away. I could use this body to do a bunch of things. I could use it to mow lawns. I could use it to do this, that, the other. Give yourself away through some kind of service. Some kind of ministry. And I am convinced that to be spiritual, healthy, and balanced, everybody needs some form of service on a regular basis where they voluntarily give themselves away for zero benefit to themselves but to advance the kingdom forward. Everybody needs some place because each of us have 168 hours a week. And God, I'll say it boldly, does not want you to spend all of them on yourself. You need a place of service where you can say, I am going to give myself away. That could be within the church, helping, say, Josh with the all-stars or with the youth. Or it could be outside the church as a soccer coach or as a reader with some little kids, as a community volunteer. There's multiple ministries in this church and outside the church where you can give yourself away without any personal benefit. And you need it for your own health. We have a class that teaches that class, 301. Now, Ephesians 2.10 is a classic verse for this church, and it says this, God has given us new lives, not the old ones, the new ones from Christ Jesus. And, conjunction, long ago, before you were even born, He planned, not me, not your wife, He planned that we should spend. There's that word, Spend these lives in helping others. Question, how's the plan going? I just bit off something that was bigger than Africa to chew. That's probably a long thing to say to my daughter and to Anita. (laughs) Helping a, I thought this was going to take this long, and it ended up taking nearly 70 hours of my time on top of my job. Now, I'm not suggesting you do something as ridiculous as that, but I am suggesting you do something. (laughs) If that was his plan, how is the plan going? I don't know what God's plan for my life is. There it is right there, written in concrete. How's the plan? Do you feel you should consider that? If you really want to know God's plan, there it is. There are so many people who have an identity crisis. Who am I? Where am I going? Why should I be here? What am I supposed to do with my life? And then he says, it's very obvious, long ago he planned. In other words, it was his will that we should spend our lives helping others. When you help them, you help me. When do we help you, Lord? When you wear earnestness today. He's in jail today with his wife, visiting those who are in prison. When you help the poor, you assist the poor, you care for the sick, you visit the lonely, you did it to me. Now, while no action or work we can do helps us obtain salvation, God's intention is that salvation will result in service. And that's what God wants you to do with your life. You're never going to find fulfillment simply by living for yourself you'll find self-fulfillment by giving your life away so you're not saved merely for your own benefit but to serve Jesus and build up his church years ago Salvation Army International Conference William Booth was supposed to come and speak but he got sick like many people are today so he promised in those days he would send a telegram to this major international gathering about the vision and the basic objectives of the organization for the next decade. Vision. We all love to hear that. What is it? What is it? People were waiting to listen to what Mr. Booth had for the Salvation Army. A man walked up to the platform, grabbed the envelope, and he opened it carefully. People with bated breath to hear the vision for the next 10 years of this incredible organization. But he started to frown because there was only one word on that piece of paper. And it was the word, others. Others. What's your word? The word that drives your life. Is it money? Be honest. Now you say, no, 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 and it really is. Success. Because here's the truth. You want to take some real estate notes? Here they are. I'm going to give you some facts. Here's number one. Your real estate is going to be worth nothing. Not a dime, not a cent. I lived in California where real estate dropped 45%. Imagine if I told you, I have perfect knowledge. And I do have knowledge in this because I know what the scriptures say. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's worth nothing. It's going to be worth nothing. Your KiwiSaver saver investment is going to be worth nothing. Zero. It's like imagine tomorrow. I tell you, in six months' time, the Kiwi dollar will go to zero. What would you be doing? You'd be all bailing out the Kiwi dollars like there's no tomorrow. Here's the news. splash news Fact. It will be worth nothing. 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 It's a fact. What is your success, your word? Is it pleasure? I want to suggest to you all those things we talked about—money, success, and pleasure—will mean nothing in the future, in the world to come. Then they won't ultimately satisfy because listen to what Jesus says, Mark eight thirty-five. Very disturbing words. Warning. Jesus said. Only those who throw away their lives, what does that mean? Throw away their dreams, throw away their hopes, throw away their desires. For my sake and for the sake of the good news. In other words, compared to my dreams, my hopes and my desires, his sake and his desires and his kingdom trumps all those. Only those who do that will ever know what it really means to live. They're his words. Implication. Are we giving our lives away for his sake and for the sake of the gospel? Because that's what that verse says. That is God's plan for your life. You will not hear that with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which is a complete aberration and a false gospel. Or... So, are you giving your life away for His sake and His plans, or are you just getting on with your own plan? Only those who give their lives away, notice that, in service, know what it really means. Now, I have read a little bit about Mother Teresa, and I've never yet come across her worried about her sense of low self-esteem. From what I've read, it's pretty hard for me to imagine, and those people I know that know her and have worked with her, It's pretty hard for me to imagine she'd be saying, Poor me. My world is falling apart. I am so depressed. I never saw her battling low self-esteem or depression. And part of that is because she didn't think a lot about herself. She just thought about herself less. And she concentrated on others. Another heart-stopping verse. Sorry guys, but this is in the scripture. It would be remiss of me if I didn't read Jesus' words. Jesus says this. Jesus says, truly says, I am telling you the truth. When my mother used to say that, I used to get worried. (laughs) I am telling you the truth. In other words, surely this is going to happen. There is no one who has left house. Is that important to most people? Yep. Brothers. Sisters, mother, father, children, or real estate. Read that. Lands equals real estate. Job, career, you name it. For my sake and of the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now this time, house, brother, sister, mother, children, with persecutions to boot. That's a hot sauce on top. And in the age to come eternal life. Jesus' words are potent, convicting and clear about making a break with old ties. Homes. Oh, I could never move. If God asked you to give me give it to me, would you say no or of course Lord? If he asked you to, if you couldn't, it's an idol. Loved ones. That's what it's talking about. I want you to move away from them. Property. Give it to me. Oh, I've worked out, oh man. Businesses. And by the way, these words are true. Remember that the world to come, the values of this world will be reversed. Remember that. Those who seek status and importance here will have none in heaven. Those who are humble here, deny themselves, and serve God's purposes rather than their own will be great in heaven. That's why he tells us about that. Jesus also emphasized, don't let it miss you because it bit me again this week. He emphasizes that word that we don't like, persecution, to make sure. Why did he mention that? To make sure that people do not follow Jesus for selfish reasons and follow him only for the rewards that he gives, which are surely enormous. The world says, get all you can. Jesus Christ is the exact opposite. Give all you can. And in giving, you understand what life is really about. See, there's no greater fulfillment than giving your life away. You have one life. And there'll be plenty of inflection points where God will challenge you. This way, my kingdom, my purpose. The more helpful I am, the more happy I am. Happiness and helpfulness go together. So, as we wrap this up, you've got 168 hours a week. This next week, I challenge you to invest part of your life in unselfish service somewhere in your church, in your community, or somewhere else. Third, and perhaps the one I spent the most time on this week, practicing self-denial. Most people don't want to listen to a message like this, but it's in the Bible. Every day, you need to find at least one opportunity where you choose conviction over convenience. The right thing versus the easy thing, where you can help others rather than just be helped. Philippians 2.4, look out. Look, 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 look. Be actively looking out for each other's interests, not just your own. The, the attitude you should have is the one Christ Jesus had. Again, look at that word look. It's that, I've said this before, the Greek word skopos, which means get a bigger view of others. A bigger view. You're, if I get the, I am, yeah, I'm slightly myopic. I mean, short sighted. Slightly. I can see you all. But not as crystal clear as I should do at the back. (laughs) And we can become myopic as Christians. Get a bigger view. He's saying here, pay attention to the needs of those around you. Be sensitive. Be considerate. Look out for the other's needs. At your work tomorrow. You come home. You're tired. You just want to flop and chill. I get that. But maybe what you need to do is get up and do the dishes. Bit of a right hand turn, eh? But I, I, I like this verse. Ladies, don't know this verse. It's in the Bible. Men doing dishes. Here it is. I will wipe the people of Jerusalem as like a man wipes the dishes, turns it upside down, and puts it it down to dry. So there you are, guys. No excuse for not doing the dishes. So in a society where everybody is saying live only for yourself, think only of yourself, we as believers are called to be different. To go against the flow and not just think of ourselves. That's what Jesus said. It means to follow me. To be a Christian. Doubling down here. Jesus is making sure, have you got this? I've already told you truly. Here it is again, 1624, different verse. If anyone would come after me, and most of us in this room who call themselves Christians said, that's me. What are the conditions? Here it is. He must not may, or possibly, he must deny himself. Take up, woo! take up his cross. That's not a pretty situation. It's hard. It's difficult. That was the first verse on the outline. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, Jesus' followers knew the cost of true commitment that Jesus was calling for, and he hasn't changed. If we try to protect ourselves from pain or discomfort, that God calls us to, in other words, let me tell you, God calls us to suffer in some way for the Christ. That's the cross bit. If we refuse it, we begin to die spiritually. And a life turns inwards, and like if you've ever had an ingrown toenail, it'll eventually get infected, because we we'll lose our purpose. He says it several times. Here's another one. And he said to all, he said, hey, you crowd out there, if anybody would come after me, Okay, there's a question. If, if, here's what needs to happen. Let him deny himself. And, this is a goodie. Take up his cross daily. Not once a week. Daily. And follow me. In other words, it must be a daily habit. If you just deny yourself once in a while, between times you're just as self-serving as everybody else. Now, point to note. Self denial is not one grande opportunity, one grande decision made once and for all. It's a daily decision, and that verse gets to that. And it's a small, often the hard choices in which I choose to put my will subservient to God's will and interests. Sometimes it's invisible. Jesus says, Deny yourself. That is a countercultural statement. He says, Deny yourself and take up your cross. And again, a cross wasn't a pretty little tattoo that you wore here or a little emblem around your neck. It was an instrument of death. That's why we die to ourselves. It was an executioner's tool. Nobody took up their cross unless the Romans were going to nail them to it. But he says again, if you want to follow me, you're going to die to selfishness. So Jesus presents us with a clear and challenging description of the Christian life. A disciple means putting aside selfish desires. It means shouldering one's cross daily and following him. It's so simple, so clear, but so demanding. For the 12, what did that mean? It meant literal suffering and literal death. That's what it meant. Let's not lose that. Let's not just gloss over that. For believers today, it means understanding that we belong to Him and that we live to serve Him. That's what that means. So, question Do you think of your relationship with God primarily in terms of what's in it for me, which is very considerable, or in terms of what you can do for Him and others? Second part of the question Are you willing to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Him? Anything less is not discipleship, it's lip service. How do you get that? That's a bit tough, Ian. Here's Jesus' words. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? A lot of confusion over this. Some people think that denying yourself means just go putting yourself down all the time. That's not what it means. The very fact that he died for you shows how very valuable that you are. What it really means is this. Sharing your faith at work or school or university, knowing that you may be ridiculed and insulted. That's denying yourself. Going on with your eyes wide open. Denying yourself means drawing out a conversation of the other person rather than just telling your stories and your opinions. That's denying yourself. Placing God's great commandment and great commission ahead of your own comfort or convenience. That is denying yourself. Being comfortable and content with a list, uh, less than the best of circumstances. I shouldn't have to put up with this, really? Accepting interruptions that God makes in your life To patiently endure irritations. That's denying yourself. And when you're content to let God settle the score, and content to wait for your reward in heaven, that's denying yourself. So why do I do a message like this? Well, first, because it's in the Bible. Secondly, because the fundamental challenge of life and the biggest battle you and I will ever have to face is over self-centeredness. It's a foundational sea change. It makes a difference between a winner and a loser in God's eyes. The first and the last. It makes a difference between a disciple and just an admirer. It it makes a difference between a giver and a taker. And the narrow and the broad way. Second to last verse. Enter by the narrow gate. Narrow. It's hard to find. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to distraction. And those who are uh, entered by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those that find it are few. Jesus' words. Good balance, eh? To bring this back in. Earlier, I'm finishing with this one. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Jesus is really saying here it's the only legitimate way to live. You will not follow God's will or you'll find fulfillment by simply pursuing your self-interest. That's the problem. What's the alternative? The alternative is to stand before God one day and try explaining to him why you did it away. Let's pray. As we just prepare our hearts I want to challenge you to make three radical countercultural steps today. Admittedly they are 180 degrees the opposite direction to culture. Would you say God after listening to your words today again, I want to start building strong relationships with you and with others. In a society that just thinks of itself, help me to care more about others and you and get the focus of myself. Help me find a small group, Lord, that I can be a part of. Then, secondly, Jesus, I want to dedicate my life in service to you. You are my master. Help me find some place where I can volunteer on a weekly basis, where I don't receive any personal benefit from it. Help me to make the time for it, because I need to demonstrate my discipleship. And then, Lord, help me deny myself daily. Give me the maturity and the strength to do the right thing, even when it's not the convenient thing to do, Lord. Help me to do this even though it may be hard and sometimes not even fun because it helps others and advances your kingdom and purposes and plans in this world. Holy Spirit, help me to deny myself like Jesus did that I can be a faithful follower and disciple that pleases your heart. We pray this in the powerful and matchless name of the one and only Son of God.